Well, I'm glad you've chosen to join me this morning. It is Sunday, March the 29th, and we are uh, enjoying the fifth Sunday of Lent as we get closer to Resurrection Sunday. Well, how you doing? I hope you and your family and uh, your friends are doing okay. I know this is a scary time for us. It's unprecedented what's going on in our country. Um, I'm sure there's been things like this throughout history that we have no concept of, but for us and our lives, this is pretty crazy, isn't it? I hope you're doing okay. Kids being out of school, a lot of people being out of work. Some people I've talked to this week are, are able to go to work and, and by necessity have to go to work still, but are trying to keep their distancing. And we're trying to abide by that as well. I want to encourage you this morning to be a part of our 447 prayer initiative that we've been doing for several weeks now. And at 4.47 in the morning or at 4.47 in the afternoon or both if you'd like, take some time to read Philippians chapter 4 verses 4 through 7 and reflect on that passage and also pray for the different aspects of the coronavirus, for healing, for finding a cure, for those who are making decisions, for those who are taking care of people. I hope you'll join us. A lot of people have said they've enjoyed this time and feel like they're doing something by praying, and they certainly are. Also, I want to encourage you that this morning, uh, our worship leader uh, in our second service, usually uh, when we have our two services, uh, Kevin Wallace has put together some music that will be on our Facebook page and also on our website. You can check that out and uh, listen to, to Kevin lead in worship. And also our children's uh, Southwest Christian Kids and Southwest Kids Junior um, Deanna and Kathy are putting up things uh, weekly for the kids to stay connected. And Isaiah uh, is also putting up things for the student ministry for the kids uh, to get together and stay connected uh, during this time. So I hope you'll take advantage of those. Well, this morning I want to continue the series that I've been working on from uh, the words from the cross from Jesus. And we've been looking at those and uh, we're going to look at another one today. So as I start off on this message, I want to ask you about a time you can remember being incredibly thirsty. Can you remember a time like that? Well, it reminded me of a movie that was put out about 20 years ago. When I thought about this, I was like, wow, I can't believe that that movie is really 20 years old. But it is. And so some of you will remember um, the movie I'm talking about, Cast Away, with Tom Hanks playing a man named... Chuck Nolan, who was a top engineer at FedEx, and the FedEx plane goes down uh, in the Pacific Ocean, and most everyone is killed except for Tom Hanks, who plays this man again, as I mentioned, named Chuck Nolan, and he rides this yellow raft through the, the storm and the, the crazy things that are going on in the sea, and finally ends up on this secluded, deserted island. And he makes it, he's alive, and he's got this raft, and he's got some FedEx packages that have come out of the plane, and not really sure what's in those packages, but as soon as he lands on that island, he realizes pretty soon that he's got to survive, and he desperately needs some clear water that he can drink because he knows he's getting dehydrated. And as he's looking through some of these packages that have uh, landed on the island with him, he's trying to go through and see what is in these packages that he might could use to survive, and he hears behind him a thud and he realizes it's a coconut that's fallen off a tree and then another one real close to him falls and he gets the idea, oh yeah, coconuts, they have milk in them, I could be hydrated with that coconut milk. So he grabs uh, several of them and he decides, how am I going to open these things? You know how hard coconuts are. So there's this uh, 
cliff wall or something of rock and he starts throwing the coconuts over and over again against it trying to crack them open but he just can't get them to crack open at all then he takes some rocks and some stones and he starts pounding on them trying to use one as like a, a chisel and another one as a hammer and he he just has this awful time trying to get and he's already exhausted he's already on the verge of dehydration and the more energy he expends the more dehydrated he's getting and he knows this and finally he breaks one open but when he does it cracks it open and most of the uh, the water the milk out of the coconut spills out he's extremely frustrated but finally he uses some kind of tool I think maybe out of one of those FedEx packages and he just keeps grinding and he finally gets some water and he he's able to turn that coconut over and shake it and you can just see the relief it brings to him even that small amount of hydration is helpful for him now I don't know about you but I've never been in a situation of being that thirsty um, I've never experienced that. Now, I've been thirsty, certainly, but I've never been in that kind of situation. But probably all of you have experienced extreme thirst at some times in your life. We can probably relate to that. I can remember over the years in the summertime on a hot day working outside or playing ball outside and becoming extremely thirsty and desperately wanting a drink of water. I can even remember in the wintertime uh, maybe having some sinus issues and being so dried out from the indoor um, heat that you wake up in the middle of the night and you're just so dried out and desperately want some water. Well, today we're going to look at another saying from Jesus on the cross as we continue this series. Well, John's Gospel is the only one who records this saying of Jesus actually saying, I am thirsty. And this is not surprising when we look at John's Gospel account and read Jesus' thirst and living water analogies that he shares in several places in the gospel. I want to share a couple of them with you. You might remember the encounter Jesus had in chapter 4 of John with the Samaritan woman. And I want to read that. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And John lets us know his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John lets us know. For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman replied, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from, drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I won't have to get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then in chapter 7 in John's Gospel again where he records this and chapter 7 during the festival of tabernacles he says this on the last and greatest day of the festival Jesus stood and said in a loud voice let everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink whoever believes in me as scripture has said rivers of living water will flow from within them so Jesus makes these analogies throughout John's gospel so it's not surprising here that John shares this specific thing that Jesus said on the cross. So let's look at that from chapter 19 of John's Gospel while Jesus is on the cross. 
Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Three simple words, I am thirsty, seem obvious to someone who was in Jesus' situation, doesn't it? He's been probably beat half to death before he even got nailed to the cross. He had to carry his cross, so you can imagine how exhausted he is. It's the sixth hour of the crucifixion that Jesus is enduring this. And now he's bleeding, exhausted, and certainly he's dehydrated. Of course he's thirsty. But why does the Holy Spirit inspire John to specifically share these words, I am thirsty, from Jesus? John's gospel is very different in a lot of ways than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He sometimes gives us a hint of deeper meaning in something that Jesus said during his life. Like, for instance, in chapter 2, it says this, And Jesus then responded to him, What sign can you show us? Though the Jews responded to Jesus saying, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all these things? And this is when Jesus was doing miracles. And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. And then John gives us in that, right after that, that um, verse, he gives us a little hint as what Jesus meant. He says, But the temple he had spoken of was his body. So John lets us know a deeper meaning that Jesus meant there. But there are other times in John's gospel where there's a mysterious saying of Jesus that only John records and lets us know about where he doesn't tell us what the other meaning is or the deeper meaning is. He leaves us scratching our heads and no help with that deeper meaning. Like for instance, in chapter 3 when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus at night, he says this, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Now when I read that, I go, Man, John, that would have been a good time to kind of help us out here. What did Jesus mean when he was talking to Nicodemus by that? But here this is simply Jesus, or maybe is it just here, Jesus simply expressing his humanness as practically as, I just need something to drink. I'm so miserable here. I need something to quench my thirst. Is he simply just wanting the smallest of relief from this agonizing state that he's in on the cross? Or is there something other that Jesus has that he wants us to look for in this I am thirsty statement? It's hard to know throughout history, commentators and scholars, and even the average person has read this and probably thought, what? else did Jesus mean when he said, I am thirsty? John has made clear in his gospel that Jesus is king. He has made clear in his gospel that Jesus is the sacrifice that brings salvation through his death on the cross and a clear connection to the Passover events and the elements of the Passover that the Jewish people are so familiar with. But why would the one who promised living water to others that will forever quench our thirst say he is thirsty here? Is he again fulfilling prophecy like we looked at last week when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me and pointed us to Psalm 22? Another verse from that very same psalm says this, My mouth is dried up like potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. 
and you lay me in the dust of death. Again, certainly this has to be referring to that prophecy and that scripture. But another interesting story that I, I heard about this week and I read about this week in fulfilling scriptures and the law certainly points to John's references to Jesus as the Passover sacrifice. I didn't know this, but during the Passover meal, it was a part of the meal to drink four different times a cup of wine during the celebration or the Passover. So during the meal, everyone involved would drink at some point during the meal a cup of wine, which means that Jesus and his disciples would have done this on the Last Supper, although the Gospels only seem to point us to two of those occasions where they drank some wine. But each one of these cups of wine expressed a form of deliverance that we read about from Moses in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. Listen to this and see if you can pick up on those four types of deliverance. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Now, did you catch those four deliverances there? If you didn't, here they are. First, he says, I will bring you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. That's the first one. The second one, I will deliver you from being slaves to them. The third one is, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. And then the fourth one was, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Now, I'm not sure if that's the intent of this, but it seems that John was always trying to connect that Passover meal with who Jesus was. But do you see how this would certainly connect the old covenant that was certainly important to the Jewish people, but this new covenant that Jesus established with his disciples that night during the Last Supper? He says, I'm establishing a new covenant in my blood. Let's think about this. Through the sacrifice, through Jesus' sacrifice, we are brought out of the yoke of sin. Through Jesus' sacrifice, we are delivered from the slavery of sin. Through Jesus' sacrifice, we are, um, we are redeemed not just with an outstretched arm, but with Jesus' outstretched arms. And Jesus was taking our judgment on the cross. And then fourthly, God took all of humanity, not just the Jewish nation, as his own people and would be their God. Interesting, whether this was an intended connection or not, I have to think it probably was. Other commentators believe Jesus is, from a practical standpoint, simply drinking here because he's trying to clear his throat as he um, shares his final words that it is finished. And we're going to look at that one next week in a little more detail. But another thought I had that Jesus is experiencing this separation from God as he takes on all of the sins of humanity and maybe identifying with the Samaritan woman and all of others throughout history who have felt this soulful thirst that they want to get quenched. Not just a physical separation from God, but an emotional and a spiritual separation from God. Seeing how when you're separated from God the Father, there is this unquenchable thirst until you drink of Him. David understood that, and in the 42nd Psalm, he wrote this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Whether my speculations here or some of the ones that I've shared with you 
are, are correct here, I'm not sure. But John lets us know that those at the cross responded to his thirsty request. He was offered a sponge. It was offered up, uh, soaked in wine vinegar, and it's actually extended to him on the stalk of a hyssop plant. So those three elements, the wine vinegar, the sponge, and the stalk of the hyssop plant have significance. And maybe there is something deeper here, and I believe there is because John's always pointing us to that. So Dr. Ralph Wilson shares these three elements and their significance as I'll share that with you that I read this week. He said, wine vinegar was called Pasca, a drink popular with the soldiers of the Roman army, and it was made by diluting sour vinegar with water. It was, ex it was inexpensive, considered more thirst-quenching than water alone. It prevented scurvy, it killed harmful bacteria in the water, and the vinegary taste made bad-smelling water more palatable. All over the empire, Pasca was the soldier's drink of choice. The soldiers had brought Pasca to sustain them during their duties there at the crucifixion. And they weren't getting drunk on it. They were just using it to quench their own thirst because, you know, they were here at least six hours and it was probably during the hot sun. Then he also shares about sponges. He says sponges were part of the Roman soldier's kit. Sponges were found along the Mediterranean coast and were widely used in ancient times to line and pad a soldier's helmet. Soldiers also use sponges as drinking vessels. No doubt one of the soldiers offered Jesus a drink of Pasca from his own supply and with his own sponge. A soldier wasn't required to share his Pasca with a dying criminal, certainly. But this was different, and it seems that whoever this soldier was that offered this to Jesus, he had seen that Jesus was dying like no other criminal he had ever seen. There was no cursing, there was no blaming, no anger here. And maybe that's why he offered this to Jesus. But John also makes it a point of specifically talking about this hyssop plant, which was a small bush with blue flowers that was um, indigenous to this area. And it was highly had highly aromatic leaves. What is the significance of hyssop? Well, there's a lot, really. Hyssop was used to sprinkle blood on the doorposts and lentils during the first Passover as we read in Exodus chapter 12. It was also associated with purification and sacrifices in the tabernacle that we read about in Leviticus and Numbers in the Old Testament. So there's no doubt that John had this in mind when he shared this in his gospel. Now again, whether all this speculation, the things I've shared with you today, and believe me, there's a lot more that's been speculated. There's a lot of incredibly interesting things that connect all of this to Jesus and the cross and to the Passover. But is this, a, is this what the Holy Spirit intended John's and John's gospel? I don't know, but I have to believe the Holy Spirit wanted us to really think and speculate and think again and put ourselves at the foot of the cross and try to imagine what it was like that day as Christ died on that cross. But I do believe the Holy Spirit intended us to look at all four of the gospels and clearly try to see Jesus on the cross, as Paul said to the Ephesian followers of Jesus. He said this, How wide, how long, and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled, with, you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I want to close this morning with a, a story. Um, from Brian Chappelle as he tells in a sermon several years ago about something that happened during World War II. 
He says, on July 30, 1945, the battle cruiser USS Indianapolis was returning from a mission delivering enriched uranium to Allied forces in the Pacific. Unfortunately, it did not make it home. A Japanese torpedo hit the cruiser on its way back. It sank in minutes. In only 12 minutes, 300 of the 1,200 men died. 900 went out into the water, enduring four days and five nights without food and without water and under the blazing sun of the Pacific. Of the 900 men that went into the water, only 316 survived the lack of water and the sharks. One of those who survived was the chief medical officer who recorded his own experience, and he wrote this. There was nothing I could do, nothing I could do but give advice. Bury the, sea, bury the dead at sea, save the life jackets, and try to keep the men from drinking the seawater. When the hot sun came out and we were in this crystal clear ocean, we were so thirsty, and you couldn't believe it wasn't good enough to drink. I had a hard time convincing the men that they shouldn't drink the seawater. The real young ones, you take away their hope, you take away their water and food, and they would drink the salt water, and they would go fast. I can remember striking the ones who were drinking the salt water, trying to get them to stop. They would get dehydrated, then they would become maniacal. There were mass hallucinations. I was amazed at how everyone would see the same thing. One man would see something, and then everyone else would see it. Even I fought the hallucinations off and on, but something always brought me back. When I think of that story as something always brought me back, I think about how important it is during this season of Lent and every year during the season of Lent that we should be brought back to see a different aspect of Jesus on the cross. Yes, we've read the accounts maybe over and over in our life, but every year it should bring us back to that spot of looking at Jesus on the cross. It should bring us back and make us more aware of our sin that actually put Jesus on that cross. But also at the same time, it should make us more aware of the incredible grace and forgiveness and love that God has for not only you and I, but all of humanity. It should remind us that we too are like David and the Samaritan woman, should seek to drink that living water that Jesus offers that becomes a spring of living water welling up into eternal life. One of the things that helps bring me back each Sunday is the time that we take to have communion together. And we've done that in the Christian church for years. We're not the only church that does that, and we know there's churches all over the world that get together and take of the Lord's Supper communion together. And it's a special time, and we do it every week because we're trying to follow what Jesus taught and what we see practiced in the early church in the New Testament. But it forces me to go to the cross and remember that without Jesus' sacrifice, I am eternally separated from God. I'm still in my sins. Jesus did make that sacrifice, and He made it for you. He made it for me. He made it for all people in all of history, in all of humanity, and for the whole world so that we could be reconciled to God through that incredible sacrifice. So I want to encourage you this morning as we close here today that you will take some time today, this morning, sometimes today, and maybe have communion with your family, with some friends, or maybe a combination of family and friends, right where you are in your house. And you may not have the little cracker, you may not have the little wafer, you may not have the little cup of juice like you usually do at, at church, 
But take whatever you have. If it's uh, juicy juice and a saltine cracker, if it's um, loaf bread and some Kool-Aid, whatever you have in your house, find something that you can sit down and reflect on Jesus' sacrifice for you to take away your sins and restore you to the Father once again. I hope you'll do that today until we can come back together on Sunday and do that together. And I hope that happens real soon. That's what we're praying for. But as I close today, I also want to share with you a passage that maybe you can read together from Romans. And we usually have a passage of Scripture each Sunday that we share before we take communion. And today is from Romans chapter 8. And Paul writes this, What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised, from, was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I think about that and what's going on in our world and in our lives right now, nothing can separate us from God. Yes, there's a real virus that's going around. Yes, this virus is real. It makes people incredibly sick. It, it, it has killed lots of people. But that cannot separate us from God and what Jesus did on that cross. So I want you to focus on that today and remember that. That's good news. That's the good news of the gospel. And yes, we're going to pray for your cure. We're going to pray that this situation will end soon and we can get back to normal. But we hope it gets us back to normal and a new normal. A normal where we remember and, and, and refocus and reevaluate what really matters in life and points us back to God our Creator, points us back to God our Savior, points us to Christ on that cross and His love for us. I hope you'll think about that today. Please be safe. Please take advantage of um, the communication we have on our website and our Facebook page. And Do you all realize that more than ever in history, the gospel message is going out in so many different ways all over the world right now. And I know God is using this time. I know it's a tough time and a scary time, but God has used this to get his gospel message out to bring hope to people all over the world. And I hope you'll share this with someone and listen to this. So thanks for the time. I hope you were encouraged. I hope you were challenged. And uh, may God be with you and your family. Continue to pray and, and stay safe. And hope to see you back here next week. Take care.